This month's Star Trek Monthly Monday is sponsored by Spy Boy from Sydney, Australia. Spy Boy says, Hi guys, I would like to sponsor the next Star Trek Monthly Monday show. The only message I have is the one below. Thanks, Chris and Scott, for <clears throat> one of the best podcasts around. You guys are great to listen to, and I just wanted to show my appreciation. Your Star Trek Monthly Monday is the <clears throat> best Trek podcast around, and all your shows keep the train ride to work entertaining. Thanks again, and keep up the fantastic work. Thank you, Spy Boy. And now, on to the show. Brought to you by Spyboy. and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 30. This is the uh, TOS, the original series, Star Trek, half of the show. Um... We're, uh, we split the show a while back. Actually, that was, what, two months back, but then things got hinky because I had to miss last month's show. Yep. Sorry about that, folks. Anyhow, I am Scott Gardner, and joining me is the man with the largest collection of Kirk and Spock, uh, 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 what do you call it, homoerotic imagery. Slash fiction. <laughs> there you go. Chris Honeywell. Thanks. So yeah, so we're on. Unhing- I'm, I'm sorry. Did you not want me to tell folks that I, I, I was I, saving I, that for a special show? I was gonna, oh. I was gonna drag it all out and read it on a special show, but that's uh, okay, uh, man. Uh, uh. I was gonna sorry, act it all that. out. But yeah, we're well, unhinked. Things are unhinky now, <laughs> and uh, 
and we're we're back into our normal swing of things and and knock on wood it's gonna stay that way for a while and we're hoping to just start churning out the two true freaks but i don't as usual um thanks to uh the irredeemable shag for uh for jumping into the uh the gap there and uh and helping out last month you guys did a great job with uh with first contact i at first i, I was kind of like oh you know I, I i felt really bad because I, oh, I wanted to be a part but then i got to thinking you know it's one of those things you know like your mom always used to say you know if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all so i i, I yeah but I your mom enjoyed, ain't here <laughs> i enjoyed uh your mama ain't here no more gardner <laughs> I enjoyed listening to you guys' take on, on that particular flick. And yeah, I, obviously I think... Shag did, too. You could tell by the end of the show that he was really enjoyed himself. <laughs> Jeez. You're not going to let him live that down, are you? I don't know who should be more embarrassed, him for falling asleep or me for putting him to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I'm, just, I'm, happy, I'm, I'm just happy for our buddy uh, Will Sanchez that, that the baton is finally been. Yeah, he's off the hook now. The baton has been passed. <laughs> Pass. It's like a, it's like a, what what are those called? Um, relay races. It's like a relay <laughs> race performed by sleepwalkers. <laughs> <laughs> I am literally sitting here in in one of my birthday presents. I just realized. Oh, this. thank God you were. I thought you were going to say you were sitting there in suit. your birthday suit, and I was. Just, oh, no, uh, that was last episode. Uh, no. Uh, um, I realized this just as we were about to start recording that that I'm wearing the the birthday present that my wife gave me, and it is an awesome awesome shirt. It is ten reasons why Kirk is better than Picard. Ooh, <laughs> it's a great shirt. I would read it to you, but I can't read upside down and backwards. So. Are you going to change your shirt for the next generation show into a more next generation centric? outfit do you have anything to no no i still think, no no because you know you're not going to put your Jordy visor on for your I mean, wesley on. sweater on and <laughs> all how in the world could they ever come out with a t-shirt that that that, that had 10 reasons why picard is better than kirk because there, there are no reasons so no no i'll stick with this shirt it has at least picard on it anyway so but that's all I got in the way of, uh, of of preamble. What's what's new for you in the world of Star Trek? Anything at all? Oh no, nothing besides what we got here. I haven't uh, I haven't gotten any comic books since the, the zombie comics. But Did you get that whole series? Yeah, I think it was only two. I think it was only two issues. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was it was a it was a whole series that ranged through a bunch of so there were like a dozen comics, but you know there were two Ghostbuster ones, GI Joe ones, Transformer ones. I think that's it, and and Star Trek, hmm. just some of the the major IDW, you know, properties that they that they have the license to. But uh, I wasn't really interested in any uh, Ghostbusters. It was a Ghostbusters set of them too. Yeah. But I, w- I was only really interested in the in the Star Trek. I'm I w- it was interesting. I was online the other day trying to see if I could scare up any pre-production or anything from the new Star Trek movie, and there doesn't seem to be really much floating around about that. But they got to be working on it right now. 
Yeah, I was just going to ask you, are they actually it's, doing, you know, the last I heard it's was that be Khan least, had been cast. It, yeah, yeah I mean, if they're casting people, it's in it's in some phase of pre-production and scripting and stuff. There's got to be some, you know, initial costume designs and stuff like that, but nothing, nothing yet, you know, so I'm sure they have a careful schedule of hype. For it, but yeah, I, now, I don't mean to be negative, but I mean, do, do you care? You know? Yes, I do. I'm. I'm. I'm you do? I'm, oh, okay. I'm, 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 I'm not psyched at all that Khan is going to be involved, unless they really do something witty with him. You know, being a different Khan on a different co- timeline, and maybe the uh, the genetic, you know, wars were a little different than this timeline. So maybe that, you know, but. I, you know, I don't know. I, it, I, I have hope for the potential of that series. You know, I have, I have hope that you know maybe they'll put some more meat into the next one because they've gotten their their origin story out of the way and they've they've introduced all their characters. And uh, you know, by the time everybody else seen it, they've seen them. Even the people who are new to Star Trek will have seen that one a bunch of times, so they'll be familiar with the characters. So you don't have to build any of that and. And hopefully they'll do a Star Trek story. You know, I'm hoping against all hope, but I'm curious. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm anticipating at least on the same level as the last one having that level of an enjoyable experience. So yeah, I'm curious, but you know, I thought we'll of see. something. Strangely, I thought about this, you know, just just to give folks a peek behind the curtain. We're we're literally going into this episode straight off of having just uh, done a a guest in on a on a great podcast called Definitive Geek, where we were talking about uh, our thoughts about the next uh, Superman movie. So I hope you go, you guys will seek that out. Have no idea whether it'll be out by the time this episode is out or not, but uh, be on the lookout for it if it hasn't been posted yet. Uh, those guys do a great show, and uh, we had a hell of it a lot of fun recording yeah. with them. Yeah, it was fun. But while we were talking about, you know, the new Superman flick and and you know reimaginings and stuff like that, a funny thought occurred to me, and I, and I just kind of wanted to pick your brain about this. You know how a, a lot of time, you know, over the last say I don't even know how many years, 10, 10 20 years at least. There have been a lot of dusting off and uh, and doing like a big screen uh, movie, you know, big screen, uh, big budget film of some old TV show. And we've seen everything, you know, from like the Beverly Hillbillies to the Adams Family to Charlie's Angels, you know, all these old TV shows. You know, A-Team was just out a little while ago. Do you think that we would have the the same problems and the in the same beefs and everything with Abrams Star Trek if it had absolutely no attachments to the other timeline and had just come straight out of the shoe as Star Trek the the movie you know and did what it did with having sort of a flavor of the old show but it but it was a, a whole new cast and and every you know basically what they did because. Without having to twist it into like somehow being the timeline has been left over, and yeah, yeah, because that was a lot of the stuff that didn't work too well yeah. in the movie. So yeah, I think it would have been. I don't know. I don't know how we. I don't know how we would have felt about it. We probably wouldn't have liked it either. You know. Yeah. I mean, it, that was their that was their quote unquote concession to, 
you know, the, the people like us, the old school fans saying, okay, you know, you want your continuity, we'll figure out a way to, to carefully make this fairly plausible that this, you know, that, that th- these two universes at least have touched each other by crossing Spock over. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, I'm just crossing I, what, what's Nero over. He was just a new character. And... But I'm kind of wondering in retrospect, and, it, and it's hard to play this game because, I, it, you know, for all I can remember, we may have actually even speculated on that when we did our speculation show that, gee, you know, I hope this isn't, you know, a whole new entity that doesn't take the old series into a account. We may have said that. I just don't remember, but I'm kind of wondering if maybe, you know, that movie had come out, had no attachments where it was literally, you know, like, like a Charlie, Charlie's angelization of star Trek to the big screen, you know, and maybe you had like Leonard Nimoy plays, you know, the chef in the cafeteria that says, you know, one man can make a difference. Enough said to, Captain Kirk or something, you know, something stupid like that. If maybe we would give it a wider pass than than what we did, you know what I mean? I, I, I just I can't help but wonder about that. But that, anyway, <laughs> I don't know. That, yeah, I, yeah, I don't. I can't decide. I can't decide whether I, I don't, think that. I that don't would think be I like, would be down with a Leonard Nimoy guest appearance as anything but Spock. Just I would be just like, just leave him out. You know, I I, right. I wouldn't need that. That level, that level of crossover would almost be too much of a concession to the fans of going, look, here's Leonard Nimoy. You know, at least it was like, look, here's Spock. I mean, say what you will, at least all Star Trek fans are interested in checking out to see how Spock is going to, you know, as Leonard Nimoy is. Right. You know, there's, you know, however, however you feel about how it came off, there's still, it's still kind of exciting to know that you're going to see you know, the actual real Mr. Spock up on the screen once again. So that was, you know... Well, I only say that because that seems to be the formula with those kind of things. You know, when they take some old TV show and make a a big screen reimagining of it, don't they typically try to get at least somebody, if they're still fucking alive, Yeah, 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 yeah. you know, to to appear, you know, like like Ferrigno in the Hulk films, for example, you know... And th- that, that that little was, that wink, was wink. well done. And yeah, it was. But for the a lot of times, it's become it's become a cliche now. You know, I liked I liked have it. You know, I think it started really getting ridiculous back in the eighties, like with Grem, you know, Gremlins, and it worked at where Joe Dante. You always knew he was going to get old Roger Corman character actors in all his movies. You know, and it was kind of right. like who's going to show up? You know, oh, the, look, there's Robbie the robot. You know. And that has gotten to the point of where it almost has to be, it feels like it has to be there, you know, so then it gets forced. Just like having where now everybody feels like they have to put witty uh, cutscenes at the end of the movie, especially if there's, you know, something that happens at the end of the movie that's a little ironic twist or that happens after the credits, you know, those post-credit things. Those used to be really cool, and now they're getting... I like how they're working it with the Avengers thing, that's a great idea. It's kind of gimmicky, but it's good. It ties all of them together. You know, it it works. Both. I think I, I think a, a, a huge opportunity has been missed in modern cinema to do a joke of that. You know, I remember some movie that was out like right after Iron Man and the whole thing with with um, 
Nick Fury showing up to recruit. I remember making that joke several times with, oh, I think it was Indiana Jones, you know, saying that, you know, after, you know, stay around for the credits, folks. After, Indi- you know, after the end credits, you know, Nick Fury sh- shows up to recruit Indiana Jones or something to that effect. I think that actually should have happened in some movie, you know, in, in the last couple of years. There should have been a movie like, I don't know, anything, you know, where, where at the end of it, Samuel L. Jackson shows up to recruit the main you know just as a joke you know what i mean yeah just, just like if it was like yeah like um the hangover or something like that you know right right yeah you know anything you yeah, know the- yeah some drama or something like that or even better let's just start being assholes and telling it like telling people that we saw like some movie that comes out that's really terrible say say captain america turns out to be a piece of shit and it gets like point one on the tomato meter and we'll go well, no, that's a bad example because it will have a cutscene at the end of it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some movie that does it that's just terrible, doesn't have a cutscene at the end of it, but you tell people, yeah, the movie's pretty terrible, but man, you got to stay stay past the credits <laughs> because what happens, that, ma- that actually makes the whole thing work. And then you get the poor sucker sitting through the... Uh, we're giving it away right now. I shouldn't be talking about... We should be talking about this <laughs> off-air. But we'll just do it on another show, so... Oh, you should have seen Mamma Mia. Yeah, that yeah. sucked. Oh, but the end of the Avengers showed up. Yeah, and then, <laughs> then, the, yeah, and then, the, then there's these poor nerds sitting through Mamma Mia. And then they're sitting there at the credits with, like, five old ladies in the audience who are crying or whatever. And they're waiting for the end. And then the lights come up and they're just like, what the... God damn those two true freaks. Those sons of bitches. Must kill two true freaks. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like the cavity creeps. Must kill two true freaks. Must kill two true freaks. We make holes in freaks. We make (laughs) holes in freaks. (laughs) 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 You know, I'm, I'm not above saying that I have genuinely hated some human beings in my life, but I don't think Aww. I've ever hated anybody so much that I would actually send them to Mamma Mia. <laughs> I, you know? Maybe I, that's I a media masochist episode for me in the future. I could take gonna... a baseball bat and bash a human being's head in, but I don't think I could send them to Mamma Mia. I don't There's think... I, I, don't, I, I actually don't just think just ABBA's cool. that bad of a band for goofy pop you know, they're, so, they're sort of like ELO with the brain, like a lobotomized ELO. You Dude, know? if you're going to blaspheme, I'm done, all right? But I could, I just, the thought of that movie has got to be the most horrifying. Yeah, you got to admit, there's a couple catchy ABBA tunes, you know. No, that you, well, no I don't have to admit I'll anything. I'll admit it, I'll admit it. But, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't have any MP3s of them in my iTunes Doesn't that movie library. have Pierce Brosnan in it? I don't know. I'm probably. I think it does. I think it has Abba and it has Pierce. But come on, come on. You, no, you Abba. Don't... I don't think Abba's even in the movie. I don't even think. I, I. I think it's probably like Hollywoodized, like show tune production style versions of the music. I think it's probably the cast singing the songs rather than Abba, which takes all the appeal that it might have at all in the first place. It's just like that's. Oh, what was it called? Strawberry Fields or whatever. There was there was a there was a uh, Beatles movie recently. That oh, I a, wanted to see that too. Across the universe. Across the universe. I watched yeah. about ten minutes of it and I almost like vomited my guts out because. Oh, is it bad? Well, I I don't want to say it's bad, but it fucking sucks. 
It's, <laughs> I know a lot of people like it, but I hate seeing when they take good songs and bleed the life out of them and turn them into these syrupy productions with people acting them out literally. You know, they come up, you know, the Beatles songs could be used in such a poetic Right now, right now, somewhere, Joe Anthrax is li- not Joe Anthrax. Um, uh, El Jacone is listening to this and just like grinding his teeth down. Yeah, fucking none of the Beatles sound good. But you know, when they take songs that you love and then they turn them into these sort of like produced with generic singers singing them and stuff, it makes me wanna. There was that movie I Am Sam with with um, what Sean Penn is a retarded guy with a daughter. And stuff, and it was. Well, that all, was a that was a stretch for him, it wasn't was all, it? <laughs> it? Was all um, it was all like rehashed, you know, uh, um, uh, acoustic, you know, sappy versions of Beatles songs, and the the soundtrack went like quadruple million platinum or something like that, and it makes me want to like claw my eyes out or claw the eyes out of the guy who record. Oh, I just I hate. I don't mind people doing covers of Beatles songs, but I do put some. Put some oomph into it, you know. You're, 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 if you're gonna sidle up to a Beatles song, you know, have the have the um, stones to put your own spin on it. Don't do some washed out, you know, limp, limp dicked fucking. I'm sorry, I was trying to choose my words, my French <laughs> carefully, but then I said fuck it. I, but anyway, uh, yeah, Star Trek. I just, I, I honestly think that at you know, it at was this like point, when they had Eleanor Rigby on that Star Trek episode with the space hippies. It was fucking painful. <laughs> I just think at this point in in human history that we need at least one more, if not two more, tablets and and add a few to to the Ten Commandments. Like, and I think a couple of them ought to be like, "Thou shall not cast Richard Grieco." Another one is, you know, thou shall not cover Beatles tunes. I, I'm I just guilty think of covering Beatles tunes. You know, you, you haven't you haven't lived till you've heard my band's version of "Don't Pass Me By." <laughs> which song? Which one is that? Which one is "Don't Pass Me By"? Hussy for your footsteps coming up the drive. It's a Ringo classic. Listen for your footsteps, but they don't It's got that great fiddle in it. I thought for sure you were going to say... We've done Helter Skelter. We've done... Why don't we do it in the road? Why don't we do it in the road? That's a very easy one. The other one. The one that we used to sing all the time. The... You know my name, look up my number. I we have that. done, my roommate, we did a show where uh, we would put out an ad. Any woman who wants to sing with our band, all she has to do is tell us which song we want to learn, or that they want us to learn, and we would learn it. No ifs, ands, or buts. We never said no. And my roommate stepped up with, you know my name, look up my number. And I was psyched, because that song is like imprinted in my brain. But the rest of the band, who'd maybe heard it once or twice, like on an Oddities and B-Sides record or not not at all, were not Mm -hmm. so happy because that song is like 8 million parts. It's a riot, though, and I got to to do, like, a couple of the parts. I got to go, yeah. (laughs) That's just a great song. 
I wonder if Josh Bertoni listens to this show. But I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not opposed to covers of Beatles songs. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest covers of Beatles songs ever is William Shatner. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. You can almost (laughs) see how he like opens his eyes a little wider at the end of it. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a cla- it's considered a classic. Even the people who mock it in an ironic fashion cannot argue that it that it. I wonder rocks if Bertoni still does his Beatles show that he was doing. I think his he Beatle does. Podcast. I think I saw him like on Facebook talking about a, like one of his Beatles shows. I'm I'm assuming he that invited it was a, us to to join him for that sometime. We need to we need to take him up on that. All this Beatle talks got me anxious to talk more Beatles well, we've now. We've always but. wanted to do a two true Beatles freak show and and we've also right. talked several times about having, you know, if anybody was going to be on that show with us it would be Bertoni, you know. Yeah. So. I want to do a, a Yellow Submarine episode. I could have sworn I saw Yellow Submarine. <laughs> here pussy, here pussy, pussy. Anyway, <laughs> We're not here to talk Beatles. We're here to talk Star Trek. A girl with kaleidoscope <laughs> eyes, <laughs> eyes, eyes, eyes. <laughs> so we're uh, we're looking at uh, what are we looking at here? We're looking at episode. I forget 26. what episode was it. Twenty six that came up Numba, in the listing. Numba this 26. is uh, errand of Moisey. Moisey. Captain's log, stardate 3198.4. We have reached Organia and established standard orbit. No signs of hostile activities in this area. Thank you for your altruistic offer, Captain. We offer you protection. We assure you that we are in absolutely no danger. Out of the way, Organian. Should one Klingon soldier be killed, a thousand Organians will die. What are the odds now? Less than 7,000 to 1, Captain. Less than 7,000 to 1. Well, getting better. Getting better. It has begun. Moisey! Let's see. I gotta find because I just remembered I'm supposed to read the synopsis on this. Here it is. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> Errand of Mercy was uh, it was first aired March twenty third, nineteen sixty seven. Damn, dude, this what? episode is older us? than we are. Yep. So as hostilities between the United Federation of Planets and the Klingon Empire reach their peak, the Enterprise is dispatched to the strategically located planet Organia. The Organian Council, a trio of smiling elderly men, seem strangely unconcerned about the prospect of war uh, centering about their planet. Klingon Commander Kor, with an occupation force, invades Organia. Kirk and Spock go undercover, disguised as two traitors. But that's not right. That's not right. Kirk was not disguised as a traitor. He was disguised as a regular old Organian. Uh, but anyway, but are recognized by Core. No, they're not. They're ratted out by the Organians. This this synopsis sucks. Lazy. 
Daisy. Yeah. See, I didn't write this, folks. This is straight out of uh, the Star Trek compendium. Oh. Anyway. Uh, shame. Recognized by Kor and are condemned to death. The Organians rescue them very easily. As the moment of all-out war approaches, the Organians reveal themselves as omnipotent creatures of pure energy. Using their mental abilities, they neutralize all weapons. Kirk realizes with horror that a part of him had been anticipating the hostilities. He is also uh, relieved to know that from now on, the Organians will be watching to see that things do not get out of hand. I don't like this synopsis. I really wish I had just written my own because I, I disagree with so many things it says. But anyway, you get the basic idea. It's not even disagree. They're just flat out wrong. It's like they somebody wasn't paying wrong. attention to the story or was like just yeah. sort of remembering it out of out of hand. I did, I did just watch this the other night, so... But yeah. yeah, I just watched it today. Yeah, Kirk was you know what? I'm portrayed gonna, I'm gonna as give... a leading citizen. He's one of our leading citizens. I, I'm I'm gonna whip one off just the top of my head. It, it, the episode starts out. Enterprise is flying along. They get the notification that they are officially at war with the Klingons. They were already on their way to the planet Organia, which sits in like the disputed area, right? It's like a strategically located planet. They get there. Kirk tries to convince the the trio, or actually, it's not even a trio. There's like, There's six like of five them, yeah. six guys there, yeah. But anyway, the, the Council of Elders. <laughs> they kind of remind me of the Elders from Shazam, actually. <laughs> yeah, Solomon Hercules. Yeah, tries to convince these guys that their planet's in danger and that the Klingons are going to come there and like enslave them and stuff. But all these guys do is sit around and grin like a bunch of mental patients. So Kirk gets really pissed with these people. He ends up getting stranded on the planet, he and Spock. And uh, Kor comes down, lays down the law. And as the, the big battle is about to break out, you know, between the... You know, both Kirk and Spock with the Klingons on the planet, and then up in space in orbit, the Klingons have like eight or nine battleships, and then the, the, the Starfleet arrives, and there's this big battle about to happen. The Organians reveal their true nature, these little light creatures, and they put a stop to everything. And that's the episode. So all this other stuff was not really that accurate, I don't think. But anyway, that was the episode. And uh, I'll, I'll let you run first on notes. I just want to say real quick before we get started... I was absolutely dreading watching this episode because I remembered hating this one when I was a kid. Well, I don't know what was wrong with me because this time around, I liked it. I, I, see, I was I was looking forward to it because I'm like, this is a meaty one. I, I was looking forward to it, good or bad, because this is just so much of Star Trek continuity and lore rests on this episode that it, I knew it was going to be an interesting one to see how it stood up and and how it was and it turned out to be a, yeah a very entertaining classic sci-fi Star Trek. Not that I <laughs> have plenty to to pick on <laughs> and to make fun of, but yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I you know I have a feeling that I just you know I'm going to enjoy the hell out of even the bad ones. You know by just anticipating making fun of the bad ones but this one this one is is a is a great story and it's and it's you know ahead of it has a lot of it has echoes to our coming our 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 sister show the next generation show yeah where uh where it's got klingons you know a, a, a heavy klingon heavy klingon centric story and it just has that that melodrama that I love of, you know, um, it's it, it, the only thing it was missing was I could have used a little McCoy in here. No McCoy this time. I am ashamed to admit 
that it wasn't until I was doing my my research and my notes on the episode, just looking at like little trivia things and everything. Now I realized right off the bat when when Kirk handed command over to Sulu, I realized that Scotty wasn't in the episode because he should have been handing it off to Scotty. Scotty, right? But I never even realized that McCoy wasn't in the episode until I was looking at something, and it was saying. Uh, Hang on, I'll find it here real quick, because this actually I thought was very interesting. Well, here's my McCoy meter. Uh, if he doesn't show up uh-huh. in the first five minutes, if if a character, do, the, usually everyone they're going to use shows up in the first five minutes or so. So in the first five minutes when I noticed there was no McCoy, and then Shatner actually utters the line, um, I'm a soldier, not a diplomat, which is a little questionable. Right. But it's like it's like oh maybe they had one line for DeForest Kelly and figured, and you know Shatner was like I'll take that line, <laughs> we don't have to pay him for that show or he could go on his you know Las Vegas vacation that he wanted to go on or whatever you know but it seemed Here like was that, that was a bones I, line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that you say that, you're right because I, I thought that line actually rang a little bit strange yeah that I, I i while i like the fact that kirk thinks of himself more as a soldier than a diplomat as i i would think that i was you know, thinking part he of was his saying that in duties. this context right yeah well i mean part of his duties as a starship captain do depend on him being a diplomat yes. actually so yes i was kind of surprised that he said that but i think what he meant was that he was more inclined to to fight you know, back cow- than to, to, yeah, to, to talk. Cowboy diplomacy rather than, you know, than, than let's sit down and talk things out all Picard style. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the thing I was looking at today said, uh, DeForest Kelly and James Doohan do not appear in this episode, along with what are little girls made of, which we just reviewed, and I don't think either one of us caught that McCoy wasn't in that episode. Um, but along with what are little girls made of and the Menagerie Part 2, this is one of only three episodes after the two pilots in which Kelly does not appear. This was also McCoy's last non-appearance in TOS. So that's huh. that's very interesting. And, of course, this is the first appearance of the Klingons. This is the first time we ever see them. Yep. And uh, John Colicos, um, I really like. In, you know, I like him as an actor, but I really like him in this role. I mean, he really did set the template for Klingons, even even up in, in, into including the uh, the Turtlehead Klingons. I think they still all essentially owe back to his portrayal yeah. here as core. Well, I really he, do. He was, the, all the other Klingons were pussies. Kirk just has to hold them at sword point and they spill all the beans, you know. The tur- right. Turtlehead Klingons wouldn't do that. They'd just be like, put the spear in me, Kirk, you know. Right. Kill me with honor now, you know, but they weren't that developed at this point, you know, and that plus they were the villains. So they, they were also going to be portrayed as being cowardly when the, when the, you know, when the, when the whip comes down. So, but yeah, I liked, I, I, and any, you know, as soon as you see that Klingon bird of prey, what's really funny is I noticed when they shot the bird of prey the first time, uh, um, who is it? I think it, it was it Sulu or Spock says he's hurt, you know, and, yeah. and, and I was like, I thought ships were she's, I thought the, the, so you would say she's hurt, you know, that's, that's just true, what I'm used yeah. to with, with spaceships or ships or any kind of, I thought he was, was talking about the captain, I guess maybe, but yeah, you know what? I didn't, didn't even think of that, but you're right. And I, and I wonder why the Organians let 
the um, let the Enterprise vapor, you know, blow up a Klingon ship. Because they did, they blew it up, right? They pretty much. Well, they were still on the way there, though. Weren't, oh, weren't there? Okay. Were they actually at Organia yet? They, they I'm, might I'm not, not. Yeah, they might. The Organians might have waited till they like actually got involved to start button in. But um, and speaking of button in, I I just thought it was a funny line where, um, Kirk tells Su- the last thing Kirk tells Sulu pretty much is no butts, Mister Sulu. <laughs> is that an order, Captain? <laughs> I thought we didn't care in the 23rd century. <laughs> that took me that took me a second, but yeah, yes, you're absolutely right. We need to pull that out of context and use that sometime. <laughs> that's 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 a good catch. Yeah. And Orga- I like that Organia is a class D minus civilization. That makes them just sound like a you'd think they'd just come down there they'd be like Neanderthals dragging their knuckles just like <laughs> Some what days I say, like Kirk? to think of some days I like to think of Earth as a D minus class, class civilization. D minus. Jesus. <laughs> Organia, when they do beam down, the first thing I thought was, this looks like one of those Bible theme parks. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> in their Moses like the Lawgiver headpieces and stuff. Uh, uh, I tell you what, when Kirk, when Spock points out the, he goes, "Well, look up the, the cat or whatever he says," and they they cut to that. <laughs> That fucking castle that's clearly from some other movie. <laughs> I was waiting to hear King Arthur go, it's just a model. Camelot. 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 It's only a model. <laughs> <laughs> Attention, English people. <laughs> right. Yes. And, and, but that well, was, I was notice- like, I was like, you know, they're like, they're like on the leftover sets from the Ten Commandments or something like that. Right. And everybody's got those, you know, sort of pseudo biblical Egyptian headgear on. Yet when it comes to disguising Spock as an Organian, these omniscient creatures don't think to just grab one of those headpieces and put it on his right. head. Instead, right. they're like, what a quandary. How do we pass off a Vulcan? Ah, let's come up with a, you know, complicated, implausible story. And, you know, why don't they just have him go outside with his back to the main gate and be like a goat milker or something, you know, exactly in the the low profile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) You know, use your mental powers to delay them 10 minutes before they burst in the door. Omniscient guys. Or how about this? Just use your omniscient power to have the Klingons hallucinate roundy ears on on Spock and off you mm-hmm. go, you know. It doesn't seem if they can turn off all the the weapons on a, a whole, you know, armadas of of spaceships, they could certainly if they could come up with their whole, you know, projected society that, you know, so that we could understand <laughs> it, then they could But they are omniscient all-wise big ass liars they are such <laughs> liars man <laughs> at one point they go we are a simple people with no defenses a no you're not simple creep people you, you, you a you're not people you're energy omniscient energy creatures that's not right. simple it's not simple <laughs> but you're omni you're you're complicated people with simple ways maybe maybe and with no defenses my ass you have no defenses nobody can fuck with you you are defended to the teeth you know 
there's you know you could you could have a whole armada mass around there and you can just sloth it off so they are not a simple people with no defenses so they're they're liars liars and then they you know right away they they you know they have their their morals against against um killing and all and all that and but you know they they lie to the klingons left and right you know I don't know. So if there's it, it, one thing that science fiction has taught me is don't trust anybody that looks like Ben Kenobi. Because <laughs> yeah. Ben Kenobi lies. This guy was like Ben Kenobi like with a eating disorder or something. <laughs> now did you notice when uh Kirk and Spock they beam down and you know they're they're out talking, they're looking at that castle like we were talking about. Aelborn walks out and he says, uh he's look it sounded to me like he was dubbed like by some, mm-hmm. you know, somebody completely different too. But he walks out and he goes, uh, "Welcome" or something like that. He says it very, very low. You know, it's just like "Welcome," and then it cuts to the long shot, and he's like across the friggin' yeah. courtyard from Kirk. It's like, how did they even hear him or notice that he was talking to them? I thought that was a weird little continuity thing. Um, now did you watch the enhanced version of this? Yes, I did. I thought that was awesome. Once again, the, they always do a nice job of of melding the old special cheesy special effects and the new, mm-hmm. you know, without making it too. You know, I thought they I thought they handled the, I thought I thought the whole episode handled the fact that it was going to be the hugest battle with Starfleet against the Klingons without showing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but when they do battle that Klingon ship. The, the way they intercut it works very seamlessly and looks really nice. You know, it's an exciting, it makes it into an exciting space battle. I love seeing the uh, Klingon torpedoes impacting on the Enterprise yeah. shields. That was yeah. really nice. That was a good effect. And, and like you say, it blended nicely. I mean, it still looks, you know, 60s-ish. Right. It, you doesn't, know, it, so doesn't it, look, it doesn't look out of place. It doesn't look plugged in and too nice you know what i mean right yeah so yeah they 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 do it they just did a an awesome job on on those you know yeah i hope somebody again. at lucasfilm has has taken note of these enhanced episodes because if you're gonna go back and tinker man that's the way to do it make it make it blend make it you know seamless because i really enjoyed that the space battle part i think that was actually one of the things that helped <clears throat> excuse me helped ramp this up for me you know, in my enjoyment of it was the the space stuff looked good, and I'm always a sucker for you know good. Well, what I like about this is is if you haven't seen it before, you know, up till now, Kirk's philosophy of man of action has worked out, has been the right course of action by the end of the show. You know, whether in the future for those characters it ends up working out like Khan is another thing, but usually it's like, you know, Kirk being like, you have to stand up to these people. Usually he'd be right, you know, but, you know, with this time and, and now, you know, watching it and from the beginning, I know that, you know, all about the Organians. So, you know, I know that Kirk is just pissing in the wind, you know, he's just he's sort of making a fool of himself in front of as is a, are the Klingons in front of the Organians. And they're just sitting there just like, you know, but it, it the only thing that, that that doesn't ring true about that is you think Kirk or especially Spock would pick up on that and say hey maybe these guys actually know something that we don't know because they don't seem stupid you know 
to the I don't know. Either. I would argue that. I would argue that. I think they do, actually. I think they would they sit there with their idiotic grins, as Core says. I think they do very much come off as they're they're so simple and unsophisticated that right. they, they do come off as they're they just can't conceive of somebody coming down there and doing right. the horrible things that Kirk is saying. So but, uh, that uh, part up, of it I actually point, did Up buy. to the point of where the one guy starts going, there's 12 of, you know, there's a large number of them beaming down with their energy units. And yeah, going, how do they do that? Point, That's when they yeah. should have started getting a clue that these yeah. guys have a little more going on than you would yeah. think because, you know, they, I mean, that guy did that sitting there, and then the next minute the Klingons walk in, and it's just like, okay, he's, you know, and they're like, oh, he, you know, they're being all cryptic, too. They're like, oh, well, you know, you'll find he's dead accurate with his his predictions and stuff like that. Right. And I'd start believing it at that point and saying, all right, maybe these guys have a little bit, and, and you know, once, once, yeah, you know, and maybe that comes from watching Next Generation because this is has, you know, I'll, I, while I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, how would this play out with the Next Generation crew? And they would have instantly been like, ah, they, ha-, you know, they would have figured, they would have figured it out, they would have been, you know, a lot more touchy feely about it, and it would have played out a lot different. You know, that that munitions dump wouldn't have gotten blown up, but. uh I liked it. I liked it. and and I like that Kirk once he realizes the situation lets go of his disappointment in the fight and just takes it with humor and starts jabbing the Klingon going, "Well, I guess we're going to have to get along from now on." <laughs> you know, and he's genuinely tickled by the situation and that's what I like about Kirk, you know. He he rises to whatever occasion and yeah, he rolls with the punches. Yeah, he yeah. rolls with the punches. And at the same time, though, even though he was kind of acting a fool to the Organians, they were still noticing, you know, the vast difference between him and the Klingons, you know. And and I'm sure it, it, it was very similar, actually, to the next generation one where they first met the Ferengi. And I don't, but do you think Kirk was being foolish, though? I mean, do you think he he when, embarrassed when, himself? Well, in the in the eyes of the Organians, as as if you were an Organian and Kirk showed up and you knew what the Organians knew, he was going through. You know, he's blowing up things and running around and giving these. You know, spending all this energy on impassioned speeches, and in the meantime. They could, you know, they basically have control. They're like the Q or something, you know. They have control yeah, of all saying. reality. Yeah. So they're just like, you know, it, it would be like taking care of a little kid. It's like, ah, yeah, well, you got to let him throw his tantrum for a little while, and then he'll figure out he's not going to get any, you know, a rise out of you, and he'll go to sleep or whatever, you know. So, so I see what you're saying. You know, I mean, yes, I, I like these ones that really make you think. Because the the ending of this one makes me a little uncomfortable because, you know, like you say, Kirk kind of, you know, for a change, Kirk's on the other, he's on the receiving end of somebody out-logicking yes. him and, and saying, he's you know. He's the one getting a little I, lesson at the end told to yeah. him. A yell, a yellborn at one point even says to him, you know, w- w- you know, well, did you really want war? And Kirk has to stop and think, you know, is, is this really what i'm preaching is you know let's let's continue the let's really go to war that made me uncomfortable only in the fact of 
this has actually turned out to be one of my favorite performances of Kirk because he got really pissed about one of the things, one of my great, great hates in life. I fucking hate pacifists. I hate pacifists. It just pisses me These off. These guys aren't technically pacifists, though. But really. but in Kirk, you know, up until Kirk knows what the score is, that's what he thinks. Because he even yeah. says at one point, look, Mr. Spock and I are about to go out there, more than likely die... For you, goddamn people, or you know something to the you yeah. know that effect. Oh no, he was. He, he, he tells was, them flat out, "I have no love for your I, people you because you're a bunch of pussies." Yeah, just like I the Klingons that. were saying, he was. He hated them just as much as the Klingons, and you know they're they're pacifists, but they're actually pacifists where you know I mean that's when if you start to become omniscient, then it might become actually practical to be a pacifist you know it would be like you could practically be like well let's avoid violence at all costs okay you can do that because you can manipulate reality and and i think their rules seem to be like you know there was the whole organian treaty with the klingons because it happened on organia and they said okay you know, that's why they probably haven't stepped into every conflict that the Federation has gotten into and said, huh, sorry, no violence. You or know. you actually, you, you touch upon a point that that was still remains my one big beef with this episode is that, um, you know, here's the first appearance of the Klingons. And right here in the very first appearance you're going to go and tie their hands. I never really understood why they did that, other than maybe they didn't ever intend for the Klingons to, if, to go yeah. further than this. They you know? didn't know if they, they were going to be a popular enemy you know, at that point. But, but at I, the I same time, that, there's been, after this, there's plenty of clashes, violent clashes right. with Klingons, so the Organians obviously aren't policing every interaction between... The Federation and the Klingons, but they seem to be like policing like an all-out war. You know, if you guys are gonna have, you know, the equivalent of World War Two in space, we're not going to allow it. You know. Well, well, that was my other complaint, and it's not so much a complaint with the episode as it is with Star Trek, just on a general level, is that this was never addressed officially. Right. Now there have been a million different, you know, explanations and, and comic books and, in you know, novels and everything else. But in continuity, there was never an explanation for, wait a minute, in the very first episode with Klingons, you know, there was this enforced peace treaty. What the hell ever happened to that? By the time of Star Trek three, they're back at shooting each at each other again. Yeah. So what happened? And I wish, I mean, you could have addressed that with one line of dialogue. You know, well, you know, ever since the Organians died or, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah, ever since and they the Organians never disappeared without a trace. Right, yeah. And they never did. And I, I, I think that, you know, that's, uh, you know, a poor handling of, of the situation, you know, on the part of whoever, you know. I wish that that had been officially addressed in some way, because mm -hmm. I just—it's one of those little things that I, I think needed to be addressed rather than just kind of hanging out there. Because as you say, you know, this this episode was so important to so many things that came later that you would think that that one element would have been picked up and uh, and expounded upon or explained away, you know, later on when it was clear that it didn't appear to be in effect anymore. Right. You know? <laughs> 
So I don't know. That always struck me as odd, though, that that it wasn't addressed in any way. But uh, I love uh, right toward the end of the episode. There's a couple really good moments. I love that a Elborn tells Kirk and core, you know, one day in the future, your people will be at peace and, and cooperate or, you know, I, I forget what the exact quote is, but he's basically telling them that one day they'll be friends and they'll work together. And I love that that really came to be, you know, I mean, yes. Worf was, was, you know, living proof of that in next gen. I, I think that's and great. Conan. I love, yeah. I love when these things all tie together and, and, you know, come together, whether it was, accident or design i think that's really really cool and i always liked uh core's line about uh you know the the missed opportunity for the war he just says it would have been glorious i think that's a great klingon line you know yeah that you know they didn't get to fight but it would have been great you know it would have been <laughs> awesome because i i like core i you know i really like that character and uh oh core the here mass you go. murder <laughs> well here you go folks you know the, you know, I, I I catch a lot of grief for for you know my uh, my views on DS9. So you're not going to hear me recommend DS9 very often. But Core came back and was in several episodes of DS9. Same I would recommend. Too? Yeah, it was. It was John Calicos came back and uh, and was uh, was Core for several episodes of uh, of DS9. He actually uh, befriended Worf, which is very funny because the original. Um, Baldrick that Worf wore in the first season of Next Gen was the one that Kor wore in this episode. It was oh. the same one, which was really cool. But anyway, he and Worf become friends on DS9. And it was the same guy. And there's even a part where I only saw the episode one or, once or twice, but if I remember right, I think they're drinking. You know, it's one of these like it's, it's almost like that scene in Jaws where they're sitting around, you know, comparing scars, and I think they're sitting around comparing like war stories or something. And Core makes a reference to Kirk. having fought Kirk on Organia or something like that. But yeah, I would recommend those. And like I say, I don't recommend a hell of a lot of DS Nine, but that was some good stuff. I like that a lot because actually, um, most of the uh, the the iconic Klingon commanders from the original series appeared again on DS9 because I know that uh, the Klingon that was played by the same guy that played um, Trelane, uh huh, you know the Klingon, the Klingon from Trouble with Tribbles, he was on DS9 at you know as that same character, and then I want to say that uh, what's his name there, Mister Freeze, was the other one because there were three of them. Because they were a trio, they were like they had be you know they were like ancient old men now you know like old old Klingons that were trying to like recapture a little bit of their past glories kind of thing. But there were three of them. One was Kor, one was the guy from Trouble with Tribbles, and I think the other one was Kang. I think I'm I don't know. Somebody can write in and correct me if I'm wrong on that. But anyway, there were three of them. I can I can't think of another iconic Klingon off the top of my head from the original series. Can you? Because it was Kang from Day of the Dove. Kodos. Who else was? Kodos? Which one was Kodos? I don't remember who Kodos is, but I know he was, there was a Klingon named Kodos. Because in the there Simpsons, there's two aliens named after him called Kodos and Kang. And I'm yeah, pretty sure right. Kodos I was one Kodos of the... Were... I think we've actually done the Kodos. Yeah, I guess you're right. 
I thought Kodos was the name of the 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 Hitler guy from uh, Conscience of the King. It was like Kodos the something asshole. I can't no, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure we had a whole conversation of it because we we're yeah, talking about th- how all the Klingons had K. Yeah. Klingon names. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying. I, I'm, I'm not sure if that, if that, because I, I know the ones you're talking. You know, they were the two alien guys on The Simpsons. Yes. I, I think Kang is after Kang the Klingon, but that Kodos may actually be from Kodos the. Ah, oh, damn it! What do they remember? Because Kirk's like one of the last survivors from that Hitler massacre thing, and can identify Kodos. You know the one I'm talking about, Conscience of the King. It's yes. it's a sucky episode. Yes, but I'm pretty mass, sure that Kodos, that's the, the mass murder or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kodos the execution, something like that. Butcher, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, but you might. I can't. I can't. I'll have to look this up. I'll do it at the break. I'll look yeah, it yeah. up because it's going to drive me nuts now. But uh, John Colicos also had connections to uh, another big sci-fi thing. He was um, Baltar. Is it Baltar or Baltazar? I think it's Baltar think from it's Baltar. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, the the one that ratted the. Oh, it the might be Baltazar. Sounds familiar. I can't remember, but but was it you and I that went to see that at the drive-in together? Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. No, yeah. it wasn't me. I I the first time I saw Battlestar Galactica, I had to go over to Carl Carpinetti's house to see it on TV. So I never. Uh-huh. I saw Buck Rogers in the theater. I didn't see Battlestar Galactica. You saw it in the theater or at the drive-in? I saw Buck Rogers in the theater in Watertown. Because okay. for some reason, I was thinking it was you that went both. Because both of those, I might have seen think, Buck Rogers with you at the drive-in. I might have. I, I yeah. probably had seen it more than once. I remember Battlestar Galactica actually was was theat- or, um I was going to say theatrically released. I, I guess the drive-in still counts as theatrically sure. released. But anyway, it was on the big screen. I saw Battlestar Galactica at the Black River Drive-In. And uh, I don't remember it very well, but I remember John Kalkos was the uh, the human that rats the Colonials out to uh, to the, the... Cylons. Cylons. That's a, all I could think was cyborgs. I knew that wasn't right. Cylons, There's yeah. cyborgs, too. And I think they kill him, don't they? I think so. I think they do, yeah. And he was also, uh, he plays a bit part as a cop in uh, that movie, The Changeling, with George C. Scott that I like so much. That great ghost story movie, he was in that, too. Yeah, that's too. a great movie. Yeah. Um, I had other notes, but nothing of, of major consequence. Well, actually, I had one or two I wanted to mention real quick. Um, there's a black guy at Navigation, and... I just think that that was pretty cool. I I didn't remember ever, you know, we we'd see, see him you know, walking by in the hallways yeah. and stuff like that, or sometimes operating the transporter. But this but one on kind of it just yeah. yeah yeah it really uh, it really caught my eye that I I didn't remember that you know I knew that up until they got checkoff that it was a rotating cast of people in that station, but I didn't remember ever seeing a black man there before. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I it maybe just my eyes or my television, but I'd swear in the scene where Kirk and Elborn are walking into the council chamber for the first time, that the goat in the courtyard was colored green, and I kind of wonder if it really was. Because it's a space now, goat. Just, yeah, exactly. It's a space goat, <laughs> and up till now we just never really caught it because TV didn't have enough definition to render it. Right. You know what I mean? Everybody knows space goats are green. 
<laughs> but take a look at that sometime and tell me if I'm crazy because I, I could swear that goat was green, but it was hard to it was hard to tell because it's way off in the background. Um, last thing I noticed when uh, they throw Kirk into the cell with uh, with Spock, there's either a mat or a trampoline on the floor that yes. catches its fall. Did you notice that yes. too? Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, this story is told from uh, the Klingon point of view in that series I was talking about not long ago from IDW. It's called uh, Blood Will Tell. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to get um, Scott Tipton is one of the guys that worked on that. And I know he wants to come on the show and, and talk with us sometimes. So I'm going to get him on just to talk Star Trek because uh, he's he's really cool. I follow his stuff on uh, on Facebook and all, and we've chatted several times. So I, I definitely want to talk to him because you know he knows his shit when it comes to Star Trek. So that should be a lot of fun. I'll try to work on that here in the near future. But that's all I got on this one. I was I was very very pleasantly surprised to really enjoy this episode as much as I did because I, no joke I put it off to the very last minute watching it because I, I just expected it to be such a schlog. I hope you're learning and, a lesson from all that. I, I guess you know I, I and it was one of those things where afterwards I was I was really racking my brains trying to think what was it that I didn't like about this one when, when I was a kid and I guess it's too the ones with t- uh, too much talking talk, were not yeah. were not very popular with us when we were kids because yeah. we were kids but now we under now we we appreciate what's going on in that talk you know that actually is yeah. actually in some ways more appealing to us now so it actually yeah. adds to it to us now so it's great so. We get to appreciate them on a different level, you know? Yeah. I think that was it. And I think I always found the Council of Old Men creepy, which I still do, they but still not quite creepy. in the same way. Yeah. But, it, but when you think about it, they're just appearing that way because that's what they pulled from us as something acceptable. So that just means that probably we're kind of creepy right. to them, <laughs> which I'm sure we are, I'm, you know. I always had the impression that A. Elborn was naked under that. They that all were spitting row. Oh, that's that. That makes me uncomfortable. They all, they all were. I think we should go to break right there. Well, before. <laughs> well, actually, before we go to break, we actually have a special bonus for this show, which is we have a book review from Luke Giaconetti. Awesome. Calling two true freaks. Calling two true freaks. Come in, two true freaks. This is Associate Freak at Large, Luke Giaconetti, with a Star Trek book review. Uh, I read Crisis on Centaurus by Brad Ferguson. This is from the Pocket TOS series and was published sometime in the early 80s. Our story involves a terrorist attack on the planet Alpha Centauri 4, a.k.a. Centaurus, which is the second largest human colony or human population center, I should say, in the world, behind Earth, in the world, in the galaxy, behind Earth. And this is a terrorist attack by a group who wants to make the planet purely humanoid and get rid of all of the alien species off of it. And so they create a, what's called an annihilation device, which is a mixed matter and antimatter, and blow up a huge portion of the major continent, killing about a million people. Um, and... So the Enterprise, who is dealing with their own problems, they've got some bizarre computer problems that are crippling most of their systems, have to investigate and 
help get to the bottom of uh, what happened on Centaurus. Uh, some pros about the book, there was some neat use of uh, quote-unquote modern items. Uh, we hear reference made to Coca-Cola, American Express, um, they drive cars on the planet. Kirk talks about how novel it is to drive a car. And that The only time previous he had ever ridden in a car was on that one episode where uh, the planet's the gangster planet. I thought that was neat because, you know, we're in the future, but we're not so far removed from the future that we don't have coke, and, you know, I like that. Another interesting pro is that there was a love interest for Chekhov uh, in the form of one of the nurses, who is a uh, native of Centaurus and uh, is with the away team that uh, goes down with uh, Chekhov to the planet. And it's a sweet seeing Chekhov get some attention and not just get the crap kicked out of him or anything like that. Uh, cons, as a big one for me, is there's a real lack of Dr. McCoy in this uh, book. Uh, he's reading the cover text. It really seems like he's going to be a major player because they talk about that one of the people on Centaurus when the bomb goes off is his daughter Joanna. And so I says, okay, well it's going to have a lot of Dr. McCoy in it. Well, he's barely in the book. And in fact, the whole thing about Joanna is kind of a minor subplot relative to the other um, the other ongoing threads in the book. And it, it's really kind of like, oh, okay, well, I thought this was going to be more McCoy-centric, and as McCoy is my favorite character from the original series, a McCoy-centric book is always appreciated. Another uh, con, there's, there's kind of two climaxes in this book. One takes place about halfway through, and it deals with Mr. Spock and his team trying to figure out how to disable the planet-wide defense system, which is... Uh, nuking any ship that comes into orbit, including a couple of relief ships, and it actually attacks the Enterprise, because when the Annihilation device was set off, it um, damaged irreparably the programming of the de planetary defense system. And so he comes up with a way to, uh, basically, to beat the computer, and that was really neat. And, you know, it, it's typical Spock, he's got to think, you know, out-logic the machine. The second uh, climax deals with Kirk, uh, having to overcome the remainder of the terrorist cell, and it's it's alright, it just kind of seems, I don't know, it, it seems less interesting to me than the stuff Spock was doing, so the, the part one climax was a lot more interesting and appealing and uh, page-turning than the part two climax. Overall, this is kind of like a low-rent episode of the original series, there's a lot of people talking in meetings, and you know, a lot of being shuffled around, and a lot of as a 20th century style technology on display, so it'd be kind of a cheap one to make. It's okay. It's not great. It's certainly not worth going crazy for, but if you see it and it's a good price, you just want a quick read, then uh, pick it up. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I got it because I thought it would have a lot of Dr. McCoy in it, and um, I was disappointed on that front, but overall, it wasn't a bad book. Not the greatest of the pocket TOSs, but, you know, they're usually just like episodes of the show anyway, so. Uh, you know, if you see it, it's worth picking up for a buck or two, but I wouldn't go crazy. That's all for now. Thanks, freaks. Welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday, TOS edition. We are going to be looking at some... Uh, Actually, I don't want to say that, do I? <coughs> now we're going to... Damn it, stop coughing when I'm talking. Um. 
Now we're going to get into our comics section of Star Trek Monthly Monday. And uh, before we do that, speaking of comics and also speaking of Core the Klingon, I got to thinking while we were in the break that uh, I remember there being a great Star Trek. It was a DC Comics Star Trek graphic novel from back in, uh, I was thinking it was the late 80s, but it was actually uh, the early 90s. Was called Debt of Honor, written by uh, Chris Claremont, art by uh, Adam Hughes. I remember somebody requesting a while back that we review this, and we will eventually get to this. It'll just be a little ways down the road, but uh, I got to thinking that Core might have been in that, so I looked it up. Sure enough, Core was a character in that too. But uh, if you guys uh, like really good Star Trek stories and haven't checked that one out, check it out. I'm pretty sure you can grab it on the cheap, but it was called Star Trek Debt of Honor. And it was a uh, Kirk versus the Klingons tale that uh, I don't remember a lot of the details, but I just remember it being really good. And it had a a, a vast array of uh, past Trek people came back to guest star in it and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to when we find the time to get to that one. But anyways, enough about core and Klingons and all that sort of thing. Here's Chris Honeywell to look at some DC Comics stuff. Yes, we are looking at this current second DC Star Trek <laughs> number 24 from March of 1986. Getting close to our graduation date. This was like when we were carefree seniors in uh, high school. <laughs> and uh, 75 cents on the cover. Cover by Jim Starlin. Um, yeah. Diane Duane is a writer, so there's a different writer in this one, right? I don't think I've has, has she done one yet to this point. Is I don't think we've read any comics that she's done, but even at this time, I'm pretty sure that she had established herself pretty firmly as a Star Trek novelist. Uh-huh. So that was pretty cool to have her on this title as uh, as you know one of the comics writers. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've got. Um, Sutton and Villagran once again doing the the art inside and um, uh, Augustine is it Augustine Mars? I'm reading my chicken scratcher. Augustine Moss, his letters. Michelle Wolfman colors, and Robert Greenberger is the editor. And this story is Double Blind, Part One. Not to be confused with Double White, Part One, <laughs> which is. <laughs> going to be a special episode that we have on Pete Hesh stories. <laughs> okay. So the Excelsior is met by a um this is a good this is going to be a real brief. This is a this is a pretty slim story. So this is a pretty brief uh synopsis. Synopsis. The Excelsior is met by a, a ship of uh the bug-like Ajir, 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 I don't know how you pronounce it. Ajir. Who demand immediate surrender. And uh, so after a, a scan of their ship, um, Kirk finds it's pretty much inferior in every way to the Excelsior. So Kirk has a hunch that he plays out. He pretty much just sort of surrenders and lets the uh, Aegir Force board his ship. And, uh, you know, the, the, the senior staff go to, go to meet them and, and uh, Kirk leaves the, the second string in charge of the the bridge, which notably is led by a talkative hordy, uh, talkative hordy, talkative horda <laughs> who takes the con. And uh, so Kirk instructs the crew that, you know, they're to teach the Aegir how to run the ship and, and how everything works. And half, after many comedy pratfalls, we find the Aegir are actually kind of inept idiots who are just basically hungry. 
and that's just as Kirk suspected. So, basically, you know, Kirk has, has figured out that these guys are just kind of dim bulbs and are no threat, and it's it's just sort of a humorous selection of, of the, the, the members of the crew making fools of the the, 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 the bug, these sort of comedy relief bugs. So, uh, just as uh, you start to think that the threat has been uh, nullified, uh, a grand, whoever the hell the grands are, a grand ship shows up and uh, it's looking to kick some ager ass and anyone who gets in the way. And that's how we end part one of Double Blind! <laughs> Double Blind! Emergency! <laughs> I get you, you bastards. That's that ship of theirs. It looks like a giant cell, or not a cell phone, but like a like a um, portable phone, doesn't it? Yeah, like an old school portable portable phone. It's the, pretty awkward looking. You can tell right away that she's a Star Trek novelist, though, by her prose. You know, it's it's very yeah. it's very novel like. You know, yeah. and it's also. It's also got the, I I don't want to sound sexist, but it's got the familiar tone that female Star Trek writers seem to write in. They they write yes. in a very familiar voice, rather mm-hmm. than just sort of, you know, from beyond the care. They they write it from almost the interior points of views of the characters, right? Which sometimes can be annoying. In this case, it it, it sort of mellows out after the first couple pages, but uh. And then you know the whole story mellows out. It's a it's a, it's a lighthearted comedy story, you know. Right? Yeah. It's this. If this was an episode, it would have a lot of do 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 Very much so. Yeah. Going on. Yeah. Um, I, I I thought it was good as far as uh, it's giving us some much needed characterization. I I enjoyed the story. Um. My one beef with it, though, is Kirk is going a hell of a long way just to humor these people. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, Kirk is known to be very touchy about his ship and to to play his hunch to the point of where he lets their invasion force come onto the Enterprise just because he knows he could defeat him in battle. Well, why would you want to have a battle with somebody on the Enterprise if you can avoid it anyway? You right. know what I mean? The only thing I could think of, this was my attempt at a no prize, but I'm not sure it holds up, is I know that at some point, and I want to say it wasn't until Picard's Enterprise, but I could be very wrong about that. But at some point, the, the you know, like the transporters, the Enterprises, they developed the ability to shut weapons off. So I'm kind of wondering if... You know, because that was one of my beefs with the story was, you know, like you say, Kirk just lets these people beam over and they're armed to the teeth. They've got guns hanging off them all over the place. Right. And in the in the part where, you know, it was a little comedy part where McCoy is conducting a medical exam on that one guy and he tests his reflexes by going booga booga. Well, the guy's holding a gun on him. If yeah. he startled McCoy like that, McCoy could have got shot. And that's what got me to thinking, I wonder if when they beam these people over, if somehow they, they deactivated their weapons without telling them. And that's the only explanation that really holds up to me because otherwise, like I say, it seems like an awful long way to go to play your punch and, and to humor these people and all that sort of thing. You know, Kirk even goes so far as to let these people lock him in the brig. Now, 
he tricks them into locking him into where they can just walk out. But, you know, what if they got smart or what if they had accidentally hit the wrong button and, and locked them in for real? Then the whole plot oh, flushed kind of, them into space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there's parts of the story that don't hold up to, to cruise, uh, close scrutiny, in my opinion. But still, I enjoyed it. Um it reminds- had a conversation about a novel, and I wonder if it was one of this woman's novel where there was a horda on the bridge, or maybe it was even a reference. But I remember us talking with, maybe it was Shag. No, it was. I'm pretty sure it was me because I think uh, my memory was faulty. I, I remember the image I could remember in my head was a horda in the command chair. So I was under the mistaken impression that at some point there was a story where there was a Starfleet vessel commanded by a Horda, but that's not the case. What it is is this Horda junior officer is left in command. Now, I like all of that except for the fact that this thing doesn't look a goddamn thing like a Horda. <laughs> oh, no, like where, where did a Horda get a face? And yeah. it's, it's like the Horda is able to sort of scrunch up its midsection to fit on, you know? Right. I mean, if you flatten this guy out and took his face off him, okay, I could almost see him being a Horda except... That he's got the skin, the skin style more of the thing than than right. a horda. He doesn't have bubbly pizza head. He has thing head. I thought he know. looked like a baked potato with a face and tentacles. Is what I thought. He's it. like a yeah. He's like a a tentacled yam version of the of <laughs> like dark seed and the, the yes. thing's head. You know. Just, <laughs> Yeah. And that's from Easter Island. And I thought Horta's <laughs> communicated in shit like no kill eye. This guy's like sarcastic and right. you know, giving little nudge nudge wink winks to his crew to like pretend that the universal translator's broken. You know, he's he's kind of a smart ass. He's very talkative. He has whole like Right little little speeches he makes and you would think, okay, so that he has some universal translator on or something and they actually show him like talking in 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 horda and you just see it as garbledygook but hordas don't speak there shouldn't well, be any garbledygook they, out of the they didn't in that see that's the thing that that it comes he, down to that that before uh, a mind meld they had to they had to scrape you know melt words into the ground with right. their with their digestive juices you know, to communicate. <laughs> See, it comes down to one of those judgment calls on, you know, kind of like we had to do last time around with the Jack the Ripper story. Just because we didn't see it in the in the prior episode, does that mean that it didn't have the ability, you know? Right. So Maybe I don't know. that was just the dumbest Horta in the world that they ran into <laughs> there, you know? Well, you know, that, that Horta might have might have assumed that there was no you know sense to try to communicate verbally because they you know they wouldn't understand it or yeah. you know I don't know you know I mean there's a lot of ways you could work around that but ultimately I came to the conclusion I I like the idea I like the, I like the aside but it's pretty goofy the, you know? the execution's pretty cheesy yeah but I like the idea of a horda being in Starfleet that's pretty that's pretty funny did you ever see the uh, – there's a next-gen episode. I'm pretty sure it's a se- – yeah, it is. It's a second-season episode because Dr. Pulaski is in it. It was called uh, Samaritan Snare, and it's this one where you know Enterprise is whipping along through space, and all of a sudden they come across this broke-down spaceship, and it's manned by these, these 
people that uh this isn't me being insensitive but i mean they're they're basically they're a bunch of of retarded people they're uh they're the packlids and they're just like exceptionally stupid and um like Jordy, Bizarro stupid yeah yeah oh yeah like i mean they're 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 like uh you know they're just you know severely mentally stunted to a point where at one point in the episode somebody says you know how the hell do these people ever even get into space you know and they trick Jordy into beaming over to help them, and then it's it's them making a bid for you know capturing a Starfleet member. So I forget what the whole rest of the plot why they do it, but they're just like exceptionally stupid. And this story actually reminded me a lot of that mm-hmm. because to a certain uh, uh, you know certain respect, the Azir are much the same way. They're not so much stupid as they're just kind of incompetent. You know they. You know their their plan wasn't very well thought out. You know, and and Kirk saw straight through it from the yeah. beginning. Yeah. But there's and definitely they, well, they're sim- they're they're pretty simple. They, they, simple, they're yeah. Just like yeah, they, it's they're sort of in that um, for the world is hollow and I've touched the sky mode. Right, where, right, where yeah. They've been on their ship. They know which buttons to push to make food and to make the ship go, but they don't really know how anything works or the idea behind anything. They don't really know how to fight. They just are just sort of. Yeah, yeah, but um, but I like I like this story because it's kind of like okay, this is just a series of goofy vignettes of these guys messing with these guys, but you subtly there's this little subtle element of it as the story goes on, where the characters they start out very threatening and as it goes on they become more and more childlike. And it, it's it's almost merciful what the crew's doing. You know, they're figuring out what their problem is. It's like they're hungry, and you can tell that Kirk, on the bottom of it, he's humoring them to make the situation easier. But he's probably also trying to think, how can we help these poor slobs out? You know, and they're also sort of realizing that on some level, and either they're too proud to admit that they're that they're not really powerful enough, but they start realizing it. So by the end, they're almost like children you know where kirk goes well come on you know kirk's running the scene at the end he's just like come on we'll go up to the bridge and see how your friends are doing and they're like yeah that's a good idea you know right he takes him and shows him the you know the grandeur of space and it just boggles his mind he's just sort of like yeah yeah but we're still in charge yeah and and kirk's like yeah yeah yeah, whatever come on (laughs) (laughs) and i thought that was a nice little it was it was it wasn't a very subtle story but that was a nice little subtle uh subtle thread that runs through it you know there's a, there's actually a little bit of character development it's also very star trekky but it, like you said it's 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 kind of next generation star trekky yeah very much you know? so so yeah yeah um, it works i like the art in this one um the characters are actually halfway decent for the most part um there's there's a pretty good savic in here if i recall right i remember going ah where she doesn't look like, like sometimes he he tends to draw her looking kind of Asian. Yeah, I noticed that too. And uh, pages aren't numbered, ah. Uh, yeah, they never are. Nuts. There's this one page where uh, it, it's basically it's the part. Well, for one thing, I love Kirk's invocation of the Great Bird of the Galaxy because that's yep. a reference to uh, Gene Roddenberry. Roddenberry. I thought that was cool. But there's uh, all right after that. All right, if you if you get to the part with the invocation, 
Then there's the next page where Kirk's basically laying out, you know, what they're going to do to help these people. The page across from that, that very last panel at the end right there, you know, there's the, there's the panel with the Horda and then the last panel with uh-huh. the guy going, uh-oh. I'm like, damn, dude, that's some head wound to make, you know, he's got three giant Band-Aids on the top of his head. And that looks like that should be, you know, he should be laying in bed somewhere. <laughs> If it's some sort of style, it's uh, not very well thought out. <laughs> it's not very symmetrical. I just thought that was funny. Because I think it's supposed to look like uh, like he's, I don't know, like Indian or something. You know, like, uh, like the last airbender has something like that on his head, you know? Yeah. But it, a, it, it, he it's, has that kind of close-up that looks like he might be one of the artists like Tom Sutton or, you know, or Villa Grand's friends or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or something you know he's got a sort of like it was supposed to be someone i don't know what the maybe the bandages were part of the inside joke or something or the, <laughs> the little runway he's got working on top of his head there <laughs> um well, the only other thing i had on this one was uh, i love this the starlin cover and uh it's it's a disappointment to open it up to the regular art team the regular after artists. that nice cover on here but i i got a kick out of uh a couple of things here on the letters page we get a letter from i mean a preface here from uh i guess this must be bob greenberger because he's the editor on this but it says ahem uh where is it here i know there are a lot of star trek readers out there and many of you enjoy sending us letters one of my pleasures as editor of this title is reading the mail as it arrives each day however many of you forgot to write in about issue number 20 um, where is it here? Uh, maybe you were so awestruck by the annual that you totally forgot we published issue 20. It was a good issue. I liked it. Mike Barr liked it. Writer Winona Woods revealed at last to be the talented and adorable Lori Sutton and Tom Sutton, no relation, loved working on it together. And it's given, uh, it's even up for the best of the year digest. And then it continues on and on and on. Just to remind listeners, number 20 was that god-awful Mr. Sulu story. That oh, with the, sucked. With the Transformers and the yes. chopsticks. Yes. Yes. All right. So I, I had a couple letters. Just not to speak. ever forget, he threw his chopsticks at somebody <laughs> as a weapon. So a couple, there's a whole bunch of letters, but there was a couple I wanted to point out here. Um, this one right here. Gentle beings, this is becoming a regular occurrence. I feel I uh, must keep applauding you so you don't louse up again. Giri was a wonderful, heartwarming story that almost made me cry. The artwork was bright, per almost usual, and as a whole, once again, captured the essence of Star Trek. And then there's this one. Dear fellow Trekkers, Issue number 20 of Star Trek was a disappointment for me for the following reasons. (laughs) One, the story moved along much too fast. This should have been a two-parter. All right, I will agree that it moved much too fast, but not a two-parter because that would have (laughs) drug out in the sock that much longer. Two, Superman act... Yeah, excuse me. Sulu acted more like Superman than Sulu. In the series and in the movies, Never, uh, nobody ever did stunts like Sulu and the robot, pages six and seven. The Trek family use their brains more than brute force. After all, Sulu's getting up in years. I think we pointed that out, that part where he did the Jedi move. Yes, we did. Three, the ending. Two clumsy Transformers battling in outer space. Come on, even for Star Trek, this is silly. Yeah, I think we covered that, too. Yeah. 
Four, the quote-unquote family was broken up. If we don't see the seven regulars together soon, I'll eat my phaser. <laughs> so I got a kick out Once of that. Once again, it's a Canadian who is the voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think he nailed it on that because, yeah, that was a... Uh, what a shit issue that was. I just was... want to read the first letter again, but in comic book guy from The Simpsons. I know you don't watch The Simpsons, but it's in, no, I know even though it's about. a even though it's a I think it's a girl's name. Devora sounds like a girl like a pretentious hippie daughter of hippies name. Yeah, I can just Devorah imagine her with like unshaved legs and pits and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I know. Bayside, New Yorker, New Yorker, gentle beings. <laughs> this is becoming a regular occurrence. I feel I must keep applauding you so you don't louse up again. Geary was wonderful, heartwarming story that almost made me cry. Almost. The artwork was great, per almost <laughs> usual, and as a whole, once again, captured the essence of Star Trek. Wow. I yeah. think Devora got into her parents' stash. <laughs> this is what I think happened there. <laughs> Dude, then he throws his chopsticks at him. Kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you say so. Ugh, what a shit story. Thanks for that, Devora. Yeah, exactly. Get a real name, too. Yeah. All right, so finish off this story. We're going to look at Star Trek number 25. This is the uh, April 1986 issue, 75 cents. Cover once again by Jim Starlin. I really like this cover, although I must spoil something. It is completely misleading. Now, according to my database, I had read these issues before. I sure as hell didn't remember reading them before because there was a big old shock for me here in just a, a couple of pages. I'll point it out. But anyway, the cover on this shows the bug guys, the Azure from last time around, facing off against the Gron. Now, the Gron looks like Tig... What was that character's name from the Omega Men? T Tigor or something like that? Well, it also Tigor. looks like from... Wasn't this a character in, like, um... Captain Marvel or something? Didn't Jim Starlin yeah, have yeah, something with a tiger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a, ti a tiger creature that was very similar to this, so yes. I thought it was sort of maybe his homage to himself or something. Yeah, you're you right. Know? But it's a very fierce tiger-looking, you know, bipedal being holding a, a gun. So just have that image in your mind when we get the reveal. Anyway, all right, so picking up from where the last one left off, you know, the Enterprise is facing off with this uh, vehicle. What are these Cell guys? Phone. The Grand? Yeah, the Grand. Grand. So it's giant Grand vehicles, you know, staring down their throat. It's, it's the Gond from, uh, <laughs> from that video game. So, you know, there's this standoff and everything, and... Uh, and the Azure are scared shitless, and they're telling Kirk, you know, oh my god, you know, these people are going to kill us. They're the most fearsome warriors in the galaxy, and, you know, they eat Klingons for breakfast and all this stuff, and they're really, really freaked out. My favorite moment of this entire two-issue story happens during this part where Kirk is, he tells uh, Ahura to stall them, meaning stall the Grand, and that she can do anything she needs to do but stall them. And she says, anything? He says, anything. Just buy me some time. So she literally calls over to their vehicle and says, Hello, this is the NX-2000, the Starship Excelsior. We're so sorry that no one's here to take your call right now. But if you'll leave your name and frequency when you hear the tone, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Thanks for calling. Now, I know that's a very present day thing, but I, I actually got a, a chuckle out of that. I thought that was very funny. Well, there's cutaways of everybody else cracking up about right. it, too. 
Right. And you know that beep is her hanging up, too, of right. course. <laughs> Scott Gardner style. <laughs> Putting them on eternity hold. So, uh, so they delay, you know, a bit longer while they run all kinds of things. And Savick pretty quickly realizes that this is playing out exactly the same way as last issue when they encountered the Aegir. These guys might have a great big, big-ass ship, but they don't have any shields. They don't have enough armament to stand up to the Excelsior. This is all really just a giant bluff. So Kirk decides once again to kind of play things out and, and see where this is all headed. The Azir go down and uh, hide on the wreck deck while Kirk welcomes aboard the, uh, the fearsome and feared Gron, the scourge of the galaxy. This was the part that I really liked. He, he has them come on board and we see him say, here they come. And we see Kirk rising up out of his uh, command chair and turning as the turbo lift doors open. You turn the page, and they're bipedal kitty cats. Now I'm not exaggerating. They're, they're no, cats. they're puss in boots from the Shrek puss movies. Boots, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a per- yeah, that's a perfect. They're, they're actual kitty cats standing on their hind legs. They even have collars. Yeah, and and they're carrying giant guns. So I'm not, you know, we're not exaggerating. They are pussy cats. So I would hate this story, but I love. I love this. <laughs> I love that they're yeah, I, my whole rights. I should hate this story, but it's actually it's fun. You know, it's a fun little just goofy story. So in pretty pretty quick order, they uh, they figure out that okay, these guys are you know it's the, it's really the same exact deal all over again. So they even go through the same thing they did with the Azir. You know, Kirk invokes the great you know the great bird of the galaxy. They run all these bullshit tests on everybody, but what it really is is it's a it's um, an information session. You know, you've got the doctor running tests, you've got the linguists, you know, figuring out their language, you've got Savic dig- digging into their history, and it's all an attempt to figure out what's the problem with these people. So, the long and short of it is, at the end of it, Kirk calls the bluffs of both of these races. He gets them together in the same room, and after they get over their initial shock of fearing each other and and all this stuff, and they realize that both of them are you know pretty much full of crap, neither one of them pose any threat whatsoever, and that they were both basically trying to goad the Excelsior into firing on them so that they could file grievances with the Federation and, and apply for some sort of what was it, like war aid or something like that. They finally, uh, Kirk comes to the realization that, you know, these people just need some help. So he comes up with a way to, like, establish star bases or, or some bullshit at their planet to bring commerce, you know, much-needed trade and commerce to their planets and help save their civilization. And at Builds the end- them a giant saucer of milk. Space milk. <laughs> so at the end, you know, we get the typical, you know, with Savick playing the part of Spock, you know, we get the nice little Kirk Spock McCoy, do 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 and the Excelsior flies away. It's a very throwaway story, but it was very engaging and endearing, and I enjoyed it. I, you know, like I said, by all rights, I usually just detest stories like that, which is probably why this was, you know, I had totally- I think it's the writer. I think she just adds little touches to it that yeah. make it that make it transcend its cheesiness, you know. And there's nothing wrong with a with a good little cheesy throwaway Star Star Trek story now and then if it's done right. And this is this is handled right, you know. I have come to respect and enjoy these kind of stories in a way that I never did when I was a kid. 
You know, when I was a kid, I, I really had little use for these kind of stories because they didn't build upon each other or add to the overall tapestry, you know, but now looking back on it, I think I actually enjoy comics like this sometimes. No, they, they, I think they, ca- I think an uh, individual story like this capture the feel of the original series more, you know, instead of having an ongoing story when you just have, you know, a, a one issue story, you know, and back when the Whitman comics were out, you know, they were in no, you know, linear order. Right. Or anything like that. It was just, you know, you would pick up a Star Trek comic to get a little little science fiction story. And this one's a whimsical one. But um, I, even though they're the ca- cats are kind of cartoony, they really capture... There's a great picture where one of the cats talking to Kirk and he's got his claws hooked in on his, right. on his, ch- on his breast plate type thing, you know, and... And it, it actually, it reminds me, it looks like a frame from a Zippy the Pinhead comic. <laughs> but there's some art that, the the very last frame of this, the last shot of the Enterprise, the nacelles are kind of stylized and pointy. I love, I love that, that or not the Enterprise, the Excelsior. I love that picture of it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of stylized. And the, they're flying towards the fried egg planet, but <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's and there's and early on in in here there's a like in the first couple pages let me see where it is there's a there's a shot of Kirk that's that's really cool where um his face is sort of half lit in silhouette it's the second page where he's just looking up at at one of the Adjir and talking to them that's a nice little dimensional yeah. picture of 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 Kirk drawn a little younger they they definitely draw sometimes his age you know filters between like the uh, older shatner and the like star trek um the motion picture shatner i've noticed a, a trend in this that i don't like the shots of kirk that are head on but in profile, in profile it, it frequently really looks good. yeah, it looks like Shatner, but then the head-on ones a lot of times don't. His his head doesn't get the right shape to it when right. it's head-on. He actually right. he sort of his head looks shaped sort of like your uncle Randy's <laughs> sort of when when the way he draws him. Yes, I I wholeheartedly agree. And you know I'm I am a sucker for cats, so this one was just and. You know, come on. They, they're walking around with guns. It, it's <laughs> totally, you know, and it's funny because cats with guns have become sort of a, an Internet meme. You know, there's that one, you know, totally picture that's been everywhere of the kitten, you know, the kitten that's sort of making the yowly face, but it's shooting a machine gun. That's I what, love that. That's what this reminds me of. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Um, and they and the way they the the and another subtlety is the, these characters have the attitude of cats, you know, you know we could toss you all out of the airlocks if we wanted to, but you know we're nice to to inferior, inferior species. They, they sort of echo the Edgier in the first one, but at the same time, like. You know, when you, you're you looking in the background, like, one cat's, like, getting, you know, one of the characters is, like, rubbing the cat's face, you know? The cat's just sort of like, 
It's awesome. And and I love the fact that they sharpen their claws on, on the, the horda. On the horda. <laughs> <laughs> and and my I guess my theory about the horda like flattening back out was wrong because he's once again all stonehenged out. Or he's kinda like Zardoz too in this one. <laughs> he's not orange <laughs> like he was in the last one. He's uh and did you notice on that page there's a weird coloring I don't know if it, uh, we're looking. We're probably. Are you looking at a CBR or the real? No, version? I'm, I've got the issue. Wh- okay, which which me, page? On that page where they're shar- the panel before they're sharpening their claws on the horda. Do those cats' ears? Do just the color of the cats' ears extend off the frame on yours? I gotta find this. Uh, Once again, the pages. Are, it's right where they do the the great bird yeah of the galaxy. yeah it does actually yeah isn't that weird it's yeah, like it's very it's like, strange it's like a printing it's like when they proofed it they forgot to to take the the basic color of what each of those were off that one part of the frame because it's obviously it's the the ears of the cats you know it's weird I love, I love when shit hap- like that happens or where you <laughs> see little scribbles on the side that we're supposed to get I love Get that erased. shot of the cat standing guard outside sick bay because it's a cat hunched down just like cats do, like if they're sitting in a window or something with a big-ass gun strapped across it. Yeah. It's, it's just cool. Well, they got the body language of the cat. The way the cat's tail is, this, that would be like if that cat was relaxed, its tail would be down against the ground, but that cat's tail is up in the air. It's, it's a cat paying attention. Yep. So... Maybe uh, maybe uh, Tom's maybe you know Villagran wrote the writer and said I really like drawing cats I want to draw some cats <laughs> <laughs> can you can you put some cats in the story I like drawing cats and bugs can can we have a a nice cats versus bugs <laughs> we're I guess I guess this is a little past the whole Clyburn cats craze do you remember that the B Clyburn cats I have no idea what every year they came out with a B B. Clyburn Cat Calendar. He was a cartoonist. Oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, now, now I know what you're I talking I think he worked for Playboy mostly. Yeah. But he did like a cartoon book about cats, and all of a sudden there were a million coffee, you know, it was just merchandised out the yin-yang. Yeah, I do remember that. And I wonder if there's any uh, any uh, of that in in this. Either that or, you know, maybe, she, maybe you know, I wonder if we if we could like have our magic fly on the wall and go to this woman's house now if there's like 500 cats she's just like all right mr tittles and pouring out you know 50 pounds of cat food on the ground and (laughs) that's what i'm thinking she she combined her star trek her love of star trek and her love of cats into one story Oh come on! We can't. We we need to. We can't uh, besmirch Diane Dwayne's reputation. I'm not saying there's anything (laughs) wrong with that. I may go out that way. (laughs) I was looking here, uh, trying to remember some of the books that she had written. But it's interesting to know. It just says that she's worked with Star Trek and perhaps more forms of anyone alive. Says besides comics, novels, and TV, she has adapted her own work for audio has written for the new Star Trek manga series, has written short Trek fiction for anthologies, and plotted and wrote the first Star Trek computer game. So, damn, she's been prolific. But uh, I know I've got several of these books that she wrote, but the only one I can remember reading 
well, you know, that I remember have a clear memory of reading was Spock's World, which is actually a really good book. But the rest of these, I don't, yeah, I don't remember the rest of these worth a damn. I might read that because I gotta say, you know, um, she's got to be a good writer to make a cheesy story like this work. Work, yeah. Because okay, I'm a sucker for cats, but I'm not that much of a sucker where I'm gonna go. You know, give this story a pass just now. If it were monkeys with guns, yeah, maybe what, however cheesy it was, I'd like it. <laughs> but she she pulls it off, and and the last one was like that. The last one could have been very goofy and inept, but yeah, there's there's a certain something to it that really that really works. You know, that really clicks with the characters and the whole thing. You know, it and. You know, Kirk's humor in this seems like Kirk's humor in Star Trek, you know. The humor in it seems like something that would come from these characters rather than as uh, just sort of the sense of humor of the writer. And I like it when writers who are big Star Trek fans don't put too much of their own weird preferences into it, you know, and stick more towards the, the trekkiness. Right. Although this is skirting that line, and there's there's a great there's a great another great frame on the page before that I've, I I with um you know Uhura having a little stare down with one of the cats yeah the, there's a little bit of catty going on there with where they're just like I don't like you Uhura now are you looking at this as a paper issue or no I'm it... looking at this as a CBR the last one the last one. If, you had to buy I, it. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if we if we cut that out of the show or talked about it before or after the show or on the show. I can't remember. I can't remember. I think that was in the show. Uh, yeah, I think it was too. Where where we popped up the CBR and it was the wrong run of Star Trek. Yeah, that number. I'm glad you pointed so, that out because I meant to. I meant to throw that out once more. That uh, to my, to the best of my knowledge, if if you're uh, checking these out on CBR for one, you're going to hell because that's wrong. But for two, Whatever. to the best of my knowledge, that uh, that has not been scanned because in the pack that you can download of all these Star Trek comics on a torrent, um, that issue is incorrect. That is I actually, actually volume two, from, number 24. I went and bought it on eBay for some ridiculous... It was ridiculously cheap. It's like a buck, know? right? Yeah, so it was like a buck. It was like a buck and change with, with postage and everything. That's and it awesome. was here in like... You know, the twinkle of an eye. It was it was amazing how quickly. So I actually had that one on. I have I have a few of these, and I think most of them that I have I got from you. When um, um, you'll have to remind me of her name. Um, Miss oh, Gerard. Janet Gerard, yeah. Janet Gerard gave you, and I got a bunch of the doubles of those. So I mm -hmm. have. So I have I have a hit and miss this but for most most of the time I'm going off the CBRs because with with Star Wars I've got the comics and I and I prefer going to the comic when I have the actual paper edition it's way it's just easier it's right. more fun it uh, it has the ads in it and all the fun stuff and yeah well, it's see that just, that was the only reason I asked was uh, I wondered if you had the ads in in whatever no. looking at cuz there's uh two great great ads in here this was a great time to be into comics, especially DC comics, because there's a great full page ad here for the Dead Man four issue miniseries. I would love to find a poster of this because it's 
it's dead man being shot and then in behind you know in in blue ink in behind him falling you know off the trapeze is him screaming too and it says can a dead man die again it says the end of a story that never really ended and i remember how jazzed you were for that comic you were a big dead man fan yeah yeah it, it was it was really really good stuff it um as I recall, I think it ended up contradicting a lot of established dead man continuity. Cause what it did was it went back and finished the original unfinished dead man story. Unfortunately, even though that story had never been officially concluded, dead man had had adventures post that, you know, that tale. And it ended up contradicting a lot of the stuff that had come afterwards. Like when he was a member of the, the, challengers of the unknown and stuff like that but it was still a really it's definitely i don't, worth I don't know if I, I i think i probably did read that series at your place i don't remember much about it i remember you i remember you were always pushing the old the old dead man on which were like usually that weren't they like support stories for batman a lot of the times well he he guest starred with batman pretty frequently like in yeah, raven the bold and stuff yeah and so and, and, yeah and then I remember he showed up awesomely in the Alan Moore run of Swamp Thing. Yeah. And he was great in that. You know, he sort of like Alan Moore knew how to write cosmic stories <laughs> and take the cosmic characters that and really use them without making them sound like they were Dungeons and Dragons characters. Well, it's funny you know, how when you get a logic it, to them. Right. It's funny how when you get into something, you know, and you say, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to read this or I'm going to follow this or whatever. And sometimes they can branch out. And then years later, you find yourself, you know, you're you're reading like the entire DC universe or something like that and going, Jesus, how did I get here? But with Dead Man, I very specifically remember it was at a time when I was really getting into Superman and I had really started collecting Superman books and back issues and stuff. And I stumbled across... DC Comics Presents number 24, I believe it is, which was Superman and Dead Man. And it was drawn by uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, one of my favorite artists, definitely one of my favorite Superman artists. Superman artists, artists, yeah. And he had also done a stint on, um, well, I don't know at that time if he had done Dead Man or not, but he was the artist on this Dead Man mini we're talking about. Anyway... That may very likely be my first exposure to Dead Man. And I was fascinated by the idea of this guy who could jump into people's bodies and become these people. And I yeah. was just, you know, so I started tracking to Quantum Leap or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, you know, I started tracking down his appearances in, in uh, Brave and the Bold, many of which were done by Neil Adams, you know, one right. of Right. I was just going to ask you that. I was yeah. saying, I remember them. I remember a lot of them being Neil Adams' art. Yeah. Well, you know what's really funny is as I started to track down the original, because what I what I got eventually was you know that that auction you and I went to when we were kids in Syracuse. I got the, I think it was a seven issue reprint miniseries of the original Strange um, Adventures. I think it yeah Strange Adventures was where Dead Man originally appeared. The stuff by Neil Adams. I loved that shit. It was awesome. So I started seeking out the originals and it turned out that for the first, 
I think maybe it was just the very first issue. It was the first one or two stories with Dead Man before Adams took over were actually drawn by Carmine Infantino. And it's not good. Carmine Infantino at all. It's terrible. But I never knew that. I never realized that Dead Man, his look and and his origin and everything was actually um, all owed back to to Infantino. I I had thought that Adams had done that right out of the chute, and he, he didn't. You know, you mentioning Infantino just reminded me not to be a bummer or anything and not to go way off the Star Trek tangent, but if anybody, I don't know what the situation will be by the time this comes out, but Gene Cullen's in bad shape. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, pray the, for Gene Cullen, man. The, it's, the good thoughts for Gene Cullen. He's yeah. not in good shape right now. That's, that's going to be You a... mentioning Carmine Infantino totally reminded me of that, of the, the old school guys. Yeah. That were awesome. <laughs> that are well, that, awesome. That's one of the reasons I felt so bad about how things went with uh with meeting Perez at uh at um Megacon is because I know that the money he collects for whatever he does, you know, signings or sketches or whatever, this goes charity. toward the yeah, it goes to the hero initiative, which is the charity that takes up money for these guys. Cause you know, that's that's the sad and heartbreaking thing is that you know these guys many of them you know they're, they're getting not to the high yeah on the hog that's no they're sure. not you know they're getting to the end of their lives and these are people that have given us so much pleasure over the years in the form of the stories they wrote and drew and the characters they created and just these wondrous worlds that we've enjoyed all our lives and here they are getting to the end of their lives and they're freaking paupers you know that are well, that are dying uh, that's why i say it's always important to pay attention to your heroes like right like one of my big heroes who's getting old right now Ray Bradbury. I don't worry about Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury's probably living pretty nice. Right. I remember when one of my favorite authors of all time, Robert Anton Wilson, just, you know, I consider the guy a genius. His books are some of the most influential books to me in my mind that I've ever read. And, um, you know, I, I remember seeing him speak once and he was, you know, old and in pain and you know within a decade after that he developed cancer and you know was down to taking paypal donations just to you know just to pay the bills you know to keep from getting their house taken away you know right yeah and it was so sad i mean i remember i was i was broke at the time and i and I was like, well, I can afford to PayPal $10. You know, how hard is it to and, – and, you know, I, I cannot calculate how influential he's been on my life, you know. So it's like, you know, and I PayPal the guy $10 and the next day, you know, I get a, a, a note from his wife, you know, thanking me for sending a donation. And it's just like, man, it's so sad that, you know – at the end of his at the end of his life i'm sure people were sending him money and stuff but you know few enough people were sending him money that his wife could personally <laughs> answer all of them it was just like no man this guy should have 10 million people you know it, you know his place should be showered with donations you know it should be right. this great outpouring it's it's sad it is yeah. sad and i i mean not that not that they're living in total abject poverty but that you know 
that you you would think they they would for for the contribution they made that it, it would have paid off a lot better for them but comics are a notoriously low profit um <laughs> business to get into you know right right well especially back in those days where you know, I, I, you know, I it was like being in. It was like working animation at Disney. It was, right. You know, it was like working in a movie. You know, the movie studios were like that too. There were mills where they, you know, where, where the creators were just brought in to and like plugged into a spot and said, "Okay, here's this right. is what you got to do. Start doing it." Yeah, here's I mean, how it, you do it was it, do it was work for hire, and the the, the yeah. conditions a lot of times were deplorable and. You know, you didn't have a lot of rights. You definitely didn't own your material or anything like that. So yeah, it was a, it was a whole different world than the way things are handled today, where you know the the creators have so much control over I you think know, what they create and their material and all some that. Some of them do, and some of them don't. I think the vast majority of people working in the comics industry are are grunt workers too. These days, you know, they they don't get paid well. There's, I think, there's only like a cream of the crop that are like. Hey, you know, I got the I got the house, the wife, and the kids all covered <laughs> right. on my comic career, you right. know. And the rest of uh, the the ones who don't have to do the like, you know, pounding the pavement at the at the conventions and stuff. Although I imagine a lot of people do that because they enjoy it, but at the same time, I'll bet you a lot of the times that's their that's their main form of income is stuff that they do auxiliary or. Or like doing commercial work where they do ads and stuff like that. If you want to really actually get a revenue stream in, so it's it's tough, man. I wouldn't yeah. want to have to enter into that uh, into that world. It, it still just, sounds like a meat grinder, you know. It it does in a lot of ways, but also you know the the thing that's I don't know. Maybe I'm too harsh, but I think it's a little bit sickening. Is there's a lot of these guys that are into comics today and you know, make damn good money and they have this big rock star mentality and, you know, they, they act like their shit doesn't stink and they treat their fans like shit and everything and, <clears throat> excuse me, and aren't a tenth as talented as these old guys that are dropping off and, and, and dying a pauper's death, you know, that, as I say, brought... They built the framework that they're yeah, working exactly. on and off, yeah. Yeah, you know, built stories and characters that are going to last, you know, generations beyond them and, and have actually beyond just, you know, a, a appreciation from well, the fans have, they're have also really the seen... characters that these guys have reinvented and got rich off of. Yeah, exactly. That must be really sad to, like, know you created a character and then have somebody reinvent it and all of a sudden... So, you know, I mean, it's not their fault that 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 these days, you know, people have better lawyers and and contracts and stuff <laughs> at some point. But right, you know, uh, well, I bet you Frank Miller made more money off Batman than Bob Kane probably did. I wouldn't be surprised. I would not. Yeah, that's a good point. I would not. I, that would not surprise me at all to find out that that that's a literal truth. That's totally out my ass. But I'll bet you that there's a good possibility that that's the way that's it's, the way it is it's very 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 likely well i mean there's there's definitely you know in this in the in the sense of superman you know there's definitely people out there that you know weren't the creators that <laughs> cleaned up yeah you know? yeah yeah so but the anyway definitely didn't clean up i think i think uh we've tangented <laughs> enough 
Oh, you you want to uh, fire up the old uh, Star Trek random computer there and pick us a new one? Yes, I do. Let me just uh, pop this up here. Come on. Goddamn <laughs> thing's got to warm Pardon me while I up. pop this up here. Where is it? There's the Universal Translator. Date Calculator. Flashlight? What <laughs> the hell do I need a flashlight for? So you can see in the dark. Duh! Yeah. Damn, this Elkar's... You'd think they could... Tip Calculator? <sighs> There we go. Random number generator. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. Number 13. Unlucky 13. Well, I think this may be a repeat. I remember it is. coming We've up with 13. We've done this one. That was right. the conscience of the king, and I'm not no, doing it No, it's funny. Again. That's with Kodos. I know. We were just talking All about right. it. That's okay, that's okay. I'll just beat on this button again. Ooh, a hot, sexy number. You know what it is. 69, 69 dude. 69 We're, we're, talking, the, we're talking late in the third season. Oh, which one? Oh, God, I think I know which one this <laughs> one is. Whom Gods Destroy. Isn't this the one with Captain Izar and and know. Batgirl, right? Batgirl plays a or, Orion Slave Girl. Nice. Isn't that the one? I'm I don't gonna, know, but I hope um, so. Hang on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up because it's gonna drive me nuts if I don't. Even when I like when I was a little kid, Batgirl even made me feel confused. Yes, it is. <sighs> I don't Batgirl, know. Maybe... Batgirl and the Black Canary made me feel very confused when I was a little kid. <laughs> I, 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 didn't I didn't understand what I liked. Entralane, right? Just cut it out, man. Always trying to do that space Liberace thing. That's my brother, George. I would love Come it over if here, George. at least once in that episode. <laughs> All right, well, Take maybe... Take the candelabra this... to mom, to mother, George. <laughs> Maybe this one will turn out to be better than I remember it, but... Uh, I don't remember nothing about it, so I'm going in... I'm going in like Marley Matlin. <laughs> <laughs> Double blind. Double white. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. 
Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.